Hello, listeners. Jerry here. Before the actual episode begins with our normal chit-chat, I wanted to take a moment to make a special dedication. Jeremy's mom, Penny, recently passed away, and while Jeremy's relationship with her was complicated, he loved her, and we want to dedicate this episode of Two Guys in a Franchise to her. She would have loved the contentiousness of the fun segment in this show. And so, Penny, this one's for you. Well, hello there, Jer. Hello, Jeremy. Uh, Welcome back from our fun holiday uh, break. Yes, after uh, now we're back into it. We had Harry Potter last week. Yeah. And now we return to the return of the king. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. Oh, man. Was your holiday good? Yes. Yeah. Yes, it was. Good, yes, it good. Was. Pardon me, I'm, I'm kind of getting over a bit of a cold here, but... Uh, me too, yeah. so the, the, the audience gets both of our uh, oh. super sexy, snotty, hey. deep voices. <laughs> if you hear me sniffle, uh, my apologies. But I, I was thinking, I, I had I had a, actually a pretty high fever through all of this, uh, or th- through the beginning of it. Some of the, the weird dreams I had were, were rather nostalgic, actually. Oh, yeah? Uh, yeah, yeah. So I, I was wondering... Was there something in your life, uh, aside from nerdiness, though, that kind of makes you nostalgic, but it was like a a turning point, a major point in your life, even though at the time it didn't really seem like it? I'm not sure. Tell me more about this question. When when I first moved to Florida back in uh, 96, shortly after, I was in a pretty bad car accident actually um yeah yeah i was i was talking with a buddy of mine i was showing him where where i lived when we first moved to florida and it showed up on google maps that the where it happened which was uh boyette and bell shoals uh there's Mm. as they weren't major roads at the time they Mm. are now though but it, it just kind of brought that wave of of nostalgia and it thinking back that was actually a major turning point in my life but it, it also called to mind the, the friends and things like that that I had at the time and, you know, wondering what they're doing now. And those those kinds of things were actually, it hit me pretty strong at the time. So, mm. so you're asking yeah. if I've had an experience if, similar yeah, like yeah, where yeah. suddenly I sort of come to appreciate a turning point in life in a way that I hadn't before. Yeah, but you didn't necessarily recognize it at the time. Yeah. It's a deep philosophical question, <laughs> which uh, is right up your alley there. Well, yeah, well, yeah, I was, I was just going to say, I have thought so often about my life in, in story terms. But no, I'm trying to, the, the only thing that pops to mind right off the jump was in terms of, in terms of remembering events in life that you don't recognize the significance of at the time in the moment until afterwards, what has to do with the story of how I met my wife. Oh. Um, oh. Which, which How sweet and wonderful. I was, at the time that I met my wife, I was in seminary studying to become a Catholic priest, which, <laughs> which for Catholic audiences generates quite the chuckle because for those of you who might not be in the know, you know, Catholic priests are called to celibacy, meaning they never get married, have girlfriends, et cetera, et cetera. So to meet my future wife while I was in seminary 
uh, can be viewed as either amusing or scandalous, <laughs> depending on your perspective. I find it amusing. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, so I was in a summer program called the Institute for Priestly Formation, which is even more fun to a Catholic audience to say, I met my wife at the Institute for Priestly Formation. <laughs> Slightly scandalous there. Yeah, so you know, some people hear that and think, well, they failed miserably. And I'm like, nah, they kind of did their job, actually. But so I was in this summer program taking classes and, and doing things hosted at Creighton University in Omaha, Nebraska. And my wife happened to be spending that summer at Creighton University in Omaha, Nebraska, doing her one-year RNBSN program. So that's how she became a registered nurse. So unsurprisingly, we met in a way that relates to church. Um, <laughs> Which I find hilarious, though. So we, uh, so she was, as I mentioned, she was in the middle of a one-year uh, BSNRN program. It was an intense program with a full-time course load combined with clinical rotations and everything else. So she decided to take an hour for herself and go to church there on campus uh, on Sunday evenings. Because as I mentioned, it was a Jesuit, a Catholic university. Mm -hmm. So they had a church right there on campus. As a seminarian, I had mass every day. I went to church every day with our seminarian group. But on Sundays, we were free to go wherever we wanted, do whatever we wanted. I was having a very transformative, powerful summer of experiences and I decided I did not feel like exploring Omaha and so just opted for the easier I'll just go to mass on campus and I like the idea of an evening mass because then you get to sleep in in the morning <laughs> so uh, so that combined with the fact that being the summer the masses on campus that church most of the time the masses are staffed you know all the volunteer positions that help uh, you know that help church go so readers and singers and musicians and ushers and all the people that you need to make the church run well, all of them were pretty much gone because they were mostly students. Right. And the majority of students were not there because it was it was summer semester where it was only you know oddball programs like this year long program and uh, and and this seminarian program, and so they were without uh, volunteers to help. So Julie, my future wife, volunteered to be a reader at the church. And I volunteered to to sing to provide some music because they had no music for the masses, <laughs> and so I I offered to acapella cantor to to lead songs and singing uh, without any accompaniment for those Sunday evening masses. So my wife and I met in the sacristy of church, the 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 sort of backstage green room, so to speak, where <laughs> the volunteers would get themselves ready. She would be reading over the readings that she would be reading at, at the mass and I would be picking my songs and you know warming up and that sort of thing. It is definitely one of those. I had no idea how dramatically the rest of my life would be utterly different when she and I met in that little room and just sort of looked at each other and just sort of nodded at each other. And really that was it the first time we met. There was no there was no real interaction and it wasn't and then but we kept doing this week after week until like a few weeks in we said hello and we eventually introduced ourselves and uh julie asked do you know why there are suddenly so many attractive men on campus this summer and i had to smooth and, uh, and i had to break it to her that yeah they're all seminarians they're studying to be priests and she's like oh <laughs> <laughs> but that's how it got started so so in terms of uh Remembering, and then what was fun was some years later, after we had gotten married, 
we did go back to Omaha and revisit that church and did uh, revisit that room. That was a really emotional experience of revisiting. You know, you mentioned the address where the accident happened and, and how that affected you. And so revisiting mm-hmm. that, that, that very space where we met was a really big deal for us uh, as a couple just to sort of like uh, laugh about well, boy, That's... had we had we had any idea what was going on that day? <laughs> I have to say that is absolutely adorable. It, it, yeah, it's, it's pretty. It's a pretty fun story. There's that... there's a lot more to it. Yeah, one maybe day I'll... I'll dribble it out over a different <laughs> episode. <laughs> one day I'll tell you about how uh, my wife and I met. It was. <laughs> well, you've told so, me. Yeah, Whether you want yeah, to tell they, the audience yeah, or not is yeah. a different story. <laughs> Well, that's fun, actually. I like that. I Absolutely. like that. I, I needed, I needed that little bit of pick me up there. So oh, good, good. Return to our past, leading us to the return to the king. To the return of the king, man. But before we discuss the king's return, we must have the return of our theme song. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. So Play us in. All right, I'll hit the button this time. Okay. So, I, I like that theme song. I say that every time. I, know you do. I love that theme song. It, it, it makes me smile. Oh, it makes me smile. We finally gave credit. Yeah, yeah. Although, well, actually, we didn't give credit. We no. we told where people could find it. Yeah. But we need to. We still need to look up who it is. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna put a link on the post page for this episode. I'll put a link to where our fans could get. The, copy of the theme song for themselves that, that sounds want. cool that sounds and then i'll cool. put the, i'll put the proper credit on the the page and then by doing that i will have to look up the guy <laughs> and then i'll have the information for next episode the <laughs> next episode i will announce i will announce the name of the composer of our theme song which is just called, i believe it's just called space theme isn't it i think so I yeah think it's called space yeah, theme, yeah so there you go <laughs> <laughs> lord of the rings Return of the King. The Extended Edition. The Extended Edition. Uh, how about some info facts? Info facts! Info facts. Directed by Peter Jackson, the Great. <laughs> Screenplay by Fran Walsh, uh, Philippa Boyens, and Peter Jackson. It is based on The Return of the King by J.R.R. Tolkien, the man himself. Produced by Barry M. Osborne, Fran Wolf, Walsh, Peter Jackson. And it is starring Elijah Wood, Ian McClellan, Liv Tyler, Viggo Mortensen, Sean Astin, Kate Blanchett, John Rice Davies, Bernard Hill, Billy Boyd, Dominic Monaghan, Orlando Bloom, Hugo Weaving, Miranda Otto, David Wenham, Carl Urban, John Noble, Andy Serkis, my precious, Ian Holm, Sean Bean, Cinematography by Andrew Lesney, Edited by Jamie Selkirk, Music by Howard Shore. The production companies are New Line Cinema and Wingnut Films. We both remarked how much we like that name. Yes. Peter Jackson's own company, Wingnut. Yes. Wingnut Films. Distributed by New Line Cinema. It was released on 1 December 2003 at the Embassy Theater. 
17th December 2003 in the United States, 18th December 2003 in New Zealand, which I find a little odd because it was filmed in New Zealand. <laughs> they should they should have dibs on dibs. that. Dibs, first dibs. Right? Running time 201 solid minutes of awesomeness. A budget of 94 million and a box office take of 1.156 billion dollars. Billion, billion dollars. And for our synopsis, we return to our friends at Movie in Minutes Recap as they uh, they regale us with the amazing uh, synopsis. Hundreds of years ago, two hobbits named Smeagol and Deagle are fishing. When Deagle discovers the one ring in the river, Smeagol is mesmerized by the ring and kills his friend for it. He retreats into the misty mountains as the ring twists his body and mind until he becomes the creature Gollum. Centuries later, during the War of the Ring, Gandalf leads Aragorn, Legolas, Gimli, and King Theoden to Isengard where they reunite with Merry and Pippin. Gandalf retrieves the Palantir from the defeated Saruman. Pippin later looks into the Seeing Stone and is seen by Sauron. From Pippin's description of his visions, Gandalf surmises that Sauron will attack Gondor's capital, Minas Tirith. He rides there to warn Gondor's steward, Denethor, taking Pippin with him. Gollum leads Frodo Baggins and Samwise Gamgee to Minas Morgul, where they watch the Witch King of Angmar, leader of the Nine Nazgul, lead an army of orcs towards Gondor. The hobbits begin climbing stairs carved in the cliff face that leads to a secret tunnel into Mordor, unaware that Gollum plans to kill them and take the ring. The Witch King and his forces strike and overwhelm Osgiliath, forcing Faramir and his garrison to retreat to Minas Tirith. Gollum secretly disposes of the hobbit's food, and he blames Sam for eating it. Believing that Sam desires the ring, Frodo tells him to go home before he and Gollum continue to the tunnel leading to Mordor. Gollum tricks him into venturing into the lair of the giant spider Shelob. Frodo narrowly escapes and confronts Gollum, telling him that he must destroy the ring for both their sakes. Gollum attacks Frodo, but falls down a chasm, Frodo continues on, but Shelob discovers, paralyzes, and binds him. Sam returns and injures Shelob, driving her away, but then hides as orcs appear and take Frodo with them. The orcs then fight over ownership of Frodo's mithril vest, allowing Sam to escape with Frodo and continue their journey. As King Theoden gathers the Rohamir army, Aragorn learns from Elrond that Arwen is dying. Having refused to leave Middle Earth to be with Aragorn after seeing a vision of their future son, Arwen convinced a reluctant Elrond to order the shards of King Elendil's sword, Narzil, to be reforged into Anduril so that Aragorn can reclaim his birthright and gain reinforcements from the ghostly Dead Men of Dunharrow. Joined by Legolas and Gimli, Aragorn travels to the Dead Men's lair pledging to release them from Isildur's undead curse should they come to Gondor's aid. Faramir is gravely wounded after a futile effort to recapture Osgiliath. Believing his son to be dead, Denethor falls into madness. 
Gandalf is left to defend the city against the orc army, led by Gothmog. As Gothmog's army forces its way into the city, Denethor attempts to kill himself and Faramir on a pyre. Pippin alerts Gandalf and they save Faramir, but a burning Denethor leaps to his death from the top of Minas Tirith just before Theoden and his nephew Eomer arrive with the Rohamir. During the ensuing battle, they are overwhelmed by the Oliphant riding Haradrim, while the Witch King mortally wounds Theoden. Though Theoden's niece Eowyn kills the Witch King with Mary's help, Theoden dies. Aragorn arrives with the army of the dead who overcome Sauron's forces and win the battle. Aragorn then frees the dead men from their curse. Aragorn decides to march upon the Black Gate as a distraction so Frodo and Sam can reach Mount Doom. Aragorn's army draws out Sauron's remaining forces and empties Mordor, allowing Frodo and Sam to reach the volcano, but Gollum attacks them just as they reach Mount Doom. As Frodo stands on the ledge over the volcanic fire, he succumbs to the ring and claims it as his own, putting it on his finger. Gollum finds the invisible Frodo and attacks him, biting his finger off to reclaim the ring. Frodo attacks Gollum in an attempt to reclaim the ring, and in the ensuing struggle, they both fall off the ledge. Gollum falls into the lava with the ring and dies. Frodo clings to the side of the ledge and is rescued by Sam as the ring disintegrates into the lava. As Frodo and Sam escape, Sauron is destroyed, along with his orcs and Nazgul, as Mordor crumbles. Gandalf flies in with eagles to rescue the hobbits, who awaken in Minas Tirith and are reunited with the surviving fellowship. Aragorn is crowned King of Gondor and takes Arwen as his queen. The hobbits return home to the Shire, where Sam marries Rosie Cotton. A few years later, Frodo departs Middle-earth for the Undying Lands with his uncle Bilbo, Gandalf, and the elves. He leaves Sam the Red Book of Westmarch, which details their adventures. Sam returns to the Shire, where he embraces Rosie and their children. The last words of both the book and the film are the same. was nicely done, Movies and Minutes. It was. It was. Thank you, gents. Thank you. So, our rewatch reaction. You know, I, I hate to call it a rewatch because it's like a rewatch, rewatch, rewatch. <laughs> I, I, I will... A re-re-re-re-re-re-re-re-re-re-re-re-re-re-re-re-re-re-re-re-re-re-re-re-re-re-re-re-re-re-re-re-re-re-re-re-re-re-re-re-re-re-re-re-re-re-re-re-re-re-
Mm-hmm. Because they're both yeah. like like the first one's like three hours, the second one's three and a half hours, and I, I think this, or maybe it's like almost three hours, and then a little more than three hours, and then this one, The Return of the King, I think is like a solid three and a half in the extended yeah. edition. Yeah. And uh, and it's funny with Fellowship of the Ring and Two Towers, I felt the ex- how long the extended edition movies were. Return of the King. Never no, looked at the clock no. once. Yeah, now, it was like it was like that was three and a half hours. Holy cow! <laughs> and because you, you wish it were longer. Because, just because the, well, you, you wish it. Were I longer. wish it were longer. <laughs> yeah, I'm a glutton for punishment. <laughs> <laughs> I I I just I just think I think what it is is that by this movie, all the table setting is done, and now it's just let's feast on a good story. Oh yeah, and so it just and it, yeah. and I credit Peter Jackson. With a direction that keeps things moving, the pacing is mm, just really well. Mm, mm. I mean, the fact that the movies and minutes guys uh, recap takes five minutes is testament to how much story there was, but also that all of it is exciting. Like all yeah. of it's interesting, all of it is captivating mm, in uh, mm. in both the action and in the visuals. And so I just I thoroughly enjoyed. Uh, rewatching this one and getting to to see the story come to its conclusion, come to its climax and conclusion, yes, because yes. because we talked before. I keep plugging our earlier episodes, episode, <laughs> but I'm going to do it anyway. If you didn't listen to season one, we listened in season one. We talked about an episode where we talked about sequels, uh, trilogies, and uh, and series mm-hmm. of films, and we talked mm-hmm. about Lord of the Rings being the the archetypal one story that requires multiple yes. movies to tell. Oh, yeah. And, and so to get to see the conclusion of the story was super satisfying. I, yeah, definitely. And and the the thing is, though, is that Peter Jackson had a great book to, to work from. You know, the it wasn't until you got towards the end of the book where it, it kind of dropped off and, and it became rather monotonous especially with the description of Aragorn's ceremony and everything like that where he's he's coronated and everything like that and then where it, it just kind of droned on a bit well uh, I thought and then, I thought one of the other things that they dropped out of the movies that I thought was really a smart move was the whole when the hobbits go back to the Shire yeah the Shire is like taken over by bullies yeah. Like 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 overrun <laughs> by these corrupt relatives of Frodo's who 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 like set up these bullies the, with more than that, nightsticks though. and things and the, and like the hobbits have to like cleanse the Shire and bring it back to yeah, you know bring yeah. it back to uh, to being the place that they remembered and and it, that was I mean on the one hand it was amusing because they are such different hobbits than when they left because they've experienced such epic grand world shaping adventure that like taking on these bullies with nightsticks in the shire they like look at each other and like just sort of smile at each other <laughs> like, and are like uh, okay yep. i think we can handle this, this and and piece of cake out. yeah but the the thing that also that they didn't bring up uh in the movie that that you kind of hinted at and i'll bring it up when when we get to our best of worst dis- discussion here is i'm gonna give a bit of spoiler just go ahead and bounce uh bounce ahead about two minutes or so here if you don't want to if you have not read the book and you're planning on it oh, but okay, the, okay. the the bully is led by Sauron. 
if you remember. No. Yes, you don't remember? And, no. and Wormtongue. They they wound up meeting their doom in the Shire. Really? Yeah, you don't remember that? I don't. I was just oh. rereading some of it about the relatives. Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. I the whole totally... gang and everything was was all led by Sauron. I oh wow. And it was I clearly it's one didn't of those it's like far enough. Yeah, it's it's uh it's rather anticlimactic, you know. <laughs> so um but you know it, it it was very fitting for how he should end his life, but that's not how they ended his life in the movies. Yeah. So yeah. but that's whole I'll I'll bring I'll go back to that when I get to the best and worst. Okay. So as far as my rewatch reaction, mm -hmm. this is and I use this word a lot. It was incredibly fun. Yeah. I enjoy every minute of it. I enjoy it despite the fact that there were things that kind of annoyed me a little bit. But also my best in this is in the same movie. So I, I think um, it, it's kind of a roller coaster for me, but it's, it is far more excitement than detractions in it. I will gladly rewatch it any day. Even if my wife is like, please don't make me watch it. Please <laughs> don't make again. me watch it. Right, right. <laughs> and unlike the, I think it was the Two Towers mm -hmm. where we met Galadriel mm -hmm. and they had their special effects moment where I was like, eh, that does not hold up so good. I was in the Fellowship, but yeah. yeah it was in the Fellowship? It was in Fellowship. This movie has none of that. No. None no. of that. Like, I think the way they they did the special it, effects was, was smart and really holds up. There's nothing really that I have, I have no complaints about. Like I, I do just a touch, a oh, touch okay. at the very very oh. end when they are on the western shores about uh -huh. to board the boat. Right. Uh, you know, it looked more like painted set rather oh, than okay. rather than you know we're looking Actual at this location. yeah like location. But I I think also that had to do with the fact that such a place doesn't exist in any way <laughs> shape or form uh -huh. that. It, and it, this was, you know, 2000, 2003. So yeah. they, the computer graphics had not caught up with yeah, the imagination. We're, we're so almost one month exactly past the 20th anniversary mm, of the Return yep, of the King. Yep. So happy 20th ha Return of the King. Yep. It's, it's soon old enough to uh, drink in the United <laughs> States. So, um, but as far as how it holds up, I think solid as a rock. It, it is. It is as solid as I've been. The you know, Mountain. lately, and we had talked about. We just talked recently, you and I, about the fact that we should do an episode about this. There have been such a such a glut of reboots. Yeah, lately yeah. that so many different franchises, the owners of the IP, feel a need to keep franchises alive by just rebooting Keeping and rebooting fresh, and rebooting. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting that this one has not had that. I have not heard anything about anybody trying to Yet. remake the movies or, you know, recast or redo, you know, and at the Yet. 20 year mark, it's kind of like yeah. you would think you would have heard something about that, but Although, not much. I think the outcry from from the the nerd and fan community would be immense and it would be immediate it would i think I, I think you would probably have rioting in the streets although of course as soon as i say this i then remember of course that the the lord of the rings franchise the middle earth franchise which is probably what we should call it more properly right I think that's how we have it listed in our 
franchise list on our website <laughs> is the Middle Earth franchise has been just recently extended and expanded in the form of the Rings of Power TV mm, show yeah, on Amazon yeah. Prime. So so there has been new Middle Earth content, just not no, nothing, no, no yeah. discussions of Lord of the Rings trilogy or Hobbit reboots uh, or redos, but rather an expansion into further areas of the history, the epically scaled history of Middle Earth that that Tolkien, you know, left behind. Yeah, and and I I'd hesitate to to you know call that any kind of reboot. I think it's it's more of an enrichment program. Yeah, it's an expansion. You know? it's yeah, an expansion yeah. of the franchise, not a reboot <clears throat> exactly. Yeah. And I'm excited for season 2 of The Rings of Power. I watched season 1 and really enjoyed it and I'm sure we'll be talking about it at some point, oh, especially since of course. you are Lord of the Rings is so close to your heart. And, uh, I wonder what I wonder what Tolkien would say about it. Though, and and he, I look forward to making it. you hate watch the Hobbit movies. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I I look at them and I'm like, I I should watch those. I should watch those. As, uh, I have I have a, a feeling that I'm going to enjoy them in spite of myself. <laughs> but I I think I think it definitely holds up and. I love that there is so many fans out there, especially, I'm going to drop a quick reference to Stephen Colbert. We we actually watched last year, the year before, he did a uh, Lord of the Rings rap where there's cameos from from uh, the all the main original cast. and, and, the, and the four big and, hobbits. Yeah, and I enjoy it. <laughs> Not only has it been a heck of a year, it's also been a heck of a decade a heck of a century, for that matter, a heck of a millennium. So we here at The Late Show are about to take a much-needed holiday break. The only thing I regret about it is that it means I won't be on the air next week to celebrate the 20th anniversary of The Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring, which, which also yeah. happens to be the 20th anniversary of me not shutting up about The Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring. It was 20 years ago this Sunday that this movie kicked off my favorite film series of all time. And what I want to know is, where the hell are the celebrations? How is it possible that we are not marking it as a people? Harry Potter is getting a giant 20th anniversary special with a full cast reunion. Seriously? Harry Potter's fine, but it's no Lord of the Rings. I mean, Dumbledore couldn't take a Balrog. Dumbledore was killed by a high school chemistry teacher. So I think Peter Jackson's towering achievement deserves the same kind of treatment because if you ask me, there is no better film series. Lord of the Rings is without a doubt the greatest trilogy in movie history. And I know... I know I may have said that many times before, but I have never, not once, wrapped it. Until now. Jimmy, jam me. Lord of the Rings number one trilogy of all time sucks. It's the number one trilogy, the number one trilogy. Try to deny and you just sound silly. Worldwide gross of almost three billy. Sixteen times what they made on free willy. You wills. Best triple feature, hell yeah, we would win it. We got the only trilogy with everything in it. Don't believe me? You could check for yourself. The Godfather doesn't even have one now. CGI, oh my god, yeah, we have that. Andy Circus doing work as motion capture in it. Star Wars is better, how you make me sick. Jar Jar can go ahead and suck my ring. 
ask Tom on a hand. Or you can ask Billy. Sean Aston's here too? Why, well, that's actually silly. Will Elijah Wood join us? I don't know, Willie. <laughs> Elf, dwarf, wizard, human, hobbits of the Shire. Bring the ring to Mount Doom and I throw it in the fire. Such a good trill that I wish they made for, though. Please feel so better, decent than your favorite porn, though. A strider, some riders, golem, a spider. We got a gray wizard and we got one that's wider. Best trill ever, baby, don't you forget. That's right, and a Kendrick pitch perfect day. What the hell? How were friends? Damn. It was oh, good. Yeah. It was yeah, good. It was funny. funny. Yeah. And I love that that there are people out there like Stephen Colbert who kind of validate those the nerddom from it, you know, kind of pushes it a bit more mainstream. For those of you who, who are who happen to not know, Stephen Colbert, of course, of the Colbert Rapport that, that came off of the Daily Show, mm -hmm. now the host of the late show with Stephen Colbert, the successor to David Letterman. Um, he is a gigantic Lord of the Rings fan and nerd. Like he yeah. knows, he has read the books, all the books, a lot of times. Can quote all the lore. Knows every character He's name. Probably he, read the Similarian he, too. He, oh, of course. <laughs> and he, I think he might have lobbied, but he he got a cameo in one of the movies. That man. Maybe it was was it one of the Hobbit movies? I don't remember it had which to have movie. Been. It had yeah, to have been. Yeah, but he got he got a little role in one of the movies because the Fellowship of the Ring and, and therefore the trilogy uh, launch you know hit twenty years uh, a couple years ago. When in the Late Show he did a whole segment sort yeah. of commemorating that because uh, and 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 I love the fact that he couldn't resist dissing the Harry Potter series <laughs> at the same time. So maybe we'll drop a little clip of that into our Yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe. And and you know, there's there's a couple things when I think of I'm gonna go off on a quick little tangent here uh, about Stephen Colbert. I a digression? Yeah the digression. In our show? No what? Is, is, uh, did you see Monsters vs. Aliens? Yes. Yeah, of course. Oh, yeah, that was great. Is <laughs> he, he climbs up the stairs and starts playing the uh, Beverly Hills cop theme, you know? Uh, yes, yes, <laughs> and then yes. the, the robot comes at him and he's flying off, and as they're dragging them to. Axel F. And when the Secret Service is uh, dragging him on uh, in, into um, Marine One, and he's like, I am a brave president. <laughs> For those of you not familiar, Monsters vs. Aliens is a children's movie animated in which Stephen Colbert plays the president of the United States who is confronted with an alien invasion. <laughs> and then deploys, and then decides to deploy a team of monsters uh, to go up against the uh, the presumably <laughs> hostile aliens. <laughs> but I I I I want that as a ringtone or a notification. I am a brave president. I'm a brave president. <laughs> you all saw that, right? <laughs> <laughs> This episode, we've decided, so we have we have uh, a few different flavors of Two Guys in a Franchise episodes, for those of you new to us in Season 2. Um, one of those flavors is Best and Worst, yeah. or Best or Worst, in which both of us sort of come to the table with what we think are either the best in a franchise or the worst in a franchise, 
And uh, if that sounds vague, it's it's on purpose because mm-hmm. we get to decide mm-hmm. whatever we want is best or worst it, of a franchise. It's our show, dog on it. <laughs> <laughs> so Jeremy, yeah, Lord of the Rings. We're gonna keep so, it to just the trilogy, yes. Because yes. even though, as we've already discussed, there's a Middle Earth franchise mm-hmm. that is much mm-hmm. wider mm-hmm. than the Lord of the Rings trilogy, because this is our second episode about Lord of the Rings, and we have now concluded watching all three of these movies. And discussing them with your audience again. Go back to season one if you missed it. Uh, then we uh, we decided we'd keep this best or worst limited to Lord of the Rings, so that we can always come back to best or worst of Middle Earth at a future date. So um, I know when before before we started recording, we were d- discussing what we were going to use as criteria for best or worst. Um, I I thought best or worst as far as uh, how close it. It matches up with the book, uh, and not only how close it matches up, but how well they did in either skirting past the book or if they did it better than the book. Okay. Uh, so, so you're, you're gonna you're gonna give us yeah. an adaptation best. Yeah. Worst. Yeah. I got it. So I uh, I'm gonna start with worst because there's a couple of them in there that uh, <clears throat> uh, worst. I I think the the whole ending of the Isengard where uh, Sauron is up on the tower and mm-hmm. he's essentially taunting the the group that's down Gandalf there. And Gandalf Theoden and, and yep. Theoden and Treebeard. Uh, Treebeard, yeah, um, as well as, as uh, Merry and Pippin. The spoiler that I gave a few minutes ago about the end of Sauron, you know, the way they ended in the movie was just kind of like, Oh no, he falls splat. Grima, come down. Be free of him. Free? He will never be free. No. Get down. Ah! Ah! you were deep in the enemy's council. Tell us what you know. You withdraw your guard. And I will tell you where your doom will be decided. I will not be held prisoner here. And it, it, it was just, it felt forced to me, personally. Okay. Mm-hmm. I, I thought if they had kind of done that as kind of a, uh, an after credit scene where uh, Sauron winds up getting uh, shanked in, in, in basically at Bag End like, like they did in the book, it would, it would have been, in my opinion, better. Uh-huh. But I understand why they didn't. Now, the other worst that I, I had was the uh, also relating to the very end where um, where they're heading towards the boats um, and this kind of goes into some other things that they glossed over or didn't even bring up in the movie which was that Sam was a ring bearer as well he actually right. wore the ring yep. um, and and as such he was eligible to go across the sea. Mm-hmm. To join the elves. Yeah. Um, and 
that was honestly a very powerful part of the book to me. Oh, okay. It 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 was one of those where you know, um, because the way they they handled it in the book and in the movie is that it was like the secret that you know they're they're just accompanying the elves and possibly Bilbo across the the seas, and now it's it's Bilbo and Frodo, yeah, and the you know it's this secret. But Sam was also included in that, mm. you know, in that secret. So there. are you you're including this here with your worst as, in as terms a worst, of adaptation? Yes. As because first do you adaptation. feel like the movie slighted Sam a little bit? I do. Of, I do. Okay. That, I, that I he have, should have received the honor that, that it should be known yes, that he, yes. he was worthy of such a, because, such a thing. Because he rightfully bore the ring. I think also the fact that Sam was, he not only did he wear the ring, but he was the only person, the only creature, humanoid or otherwise, that successfully resisted the ring 100%. Right. You know, uh, with the exception of, I guess, Tom Bombadil, who was not included in the movies either. Right, right. But yeah. he, he was able to freely give up that ring, almost with no hesitation. Did he... I. Here, okay, my crappy memory, which is why every time we have these episodes, I have to like rewatch everything <laughs> yeah. because I don't remember anything uh, long term. What Did, were we talking about in the movies? Like, especially, I guess we're talking like Two Towers mm-hmm. timeline. Did we see Sam wear it? Because I remember where Sam held it, and he was holding the the chain with the ring. It so- seems to me like the movies presented Sam's. Uh, Sam's having the ring as a very short-term sort of, you know, kind was, of thing. Well, it was in Return of the King, and it was after Shelob had stung Frodo, and then the orcs had taken him back to right, the Black right. Tower. Right, and he handed Frodo it back. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, so that's he the used, image that I have in my head, yeah. He used the ring to actually storm the tower after the orcs had their little fight between themselves. Right. Um, but he also did it to hide himself from the orcs when the orcs were not only coming up the path, but when they were carrying Frodo Was that back. in the movie? It was not in the movie. Yeah, see, that's what he I'm just, thinking. He just, he the movie kind of, I think the it, movie kind of minimizes Sam's actual interactions yeah, with the ring. The, the, yeah. Because there was a, because do I remember correctly in the books, there was a time where he wore it too. He, on the, it, in the in the necklace, didn't he? he? Uh, well, he. I don't remember if there was any point before Return of the King that they did that. Okay. It's possible, but I know that he offered Frodo his help in carrying it. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. that was that was when the ring was taken serious hold of Frodo, and right. you know Frodo was much much paranoid about it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, he did actually wear the ring in the book, and. Um, they, yeah, I think I think they yeah, slighted I think the Sam. Movies, I think in the movies they kind of they really, the, I think they were consistent in not having him be called ring bearer and invited on the boats because earlier in the movies there was so little indication that he did other than like holding it in his hand yeah. during that time when Frodo was captured. But yeah. I, I don't recall him ever wearing the ring in the, in movies. the movies. Yeah, no, I don't yeah, think he did. Yeah. I, I, I don't think he did. Yeah. But so in that regard, yeah. it makes sense story-wise yeah. that he wasn't offered at the end. But I totally agree. It just further, it just, if anything, that just further reinforces your point that 
Sam, Sam did fun. more, yeah. even more than is displayed in the movies. Oh yeah. And we yeah. talked last episode that we talked about Lord of the Rings. We talked repeatedly about how Sam is the real hero of the whole thing. Yeah. yeah. Like Sam yeah. is the one who really saves the world. Frodo yeah. gets the spotlight and has his name and lights and everything and gets the spot on the ship. But uh, like we said before, it's really Samwise who, <laughs> who you know, without Sam, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sauron wins. So, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like the, the, the world <laughs> falls into darkness yeah. without Sam. Sam is, is really the one who, who repeatedly... Uh, saves the world. Yeah. Now, my my best also comes from Return of the King. Okay. When Aragorn, Aragorn comes up to the Black Gate with the the men of Gondor and the men uh, um, uh, of Numenor, mm-hmm. along with Gandalf and the the few elves that were around mm-hmm. and uh, the Rohirrim, the Rohirrim, and and when they 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 sue uh, the the Black Gate for uh, a parlay, mm-hmm. essentially. They they knew that they were going to go into battle. I think they did a much better uh, job in the movie of making that emotional and, and, and really kind of dragging the audience into it, realizing that this is the major turning point in the entire story, that it is the battle. It's where the rubber hits the road. That the fate of the world depends the, on Yes, this. yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, I think they made it a much more powerful representation visually than what you could get from words. Especially making it look like it is a much more dire situation than what the book does. Oh, yeah, it is, it is so painfully clear how hopeless a situation yes. it is in the, in the movie when, you know, through the visual medium, you see all the armies of good standing outside the gates and the the armies of Sauron just march out and immediately surround them with this massive, you know, with this massive ring of orcs and goblins and, and the evil forces such that the entire, and you can, and, and I think the, the actors do a wonderful job. All the men mm, yeah. just look super wide-eyed like, Oh crap! If this doesn't work, we are right. all dead. Or most of them then, were probably thinking to themselves, "Oh God, we are all dead." And then Aragorn, though, being that king, it's the first time in front of an army as the king and wielding that that regal power and being able to use his his charisma and influence on a large scale. Basically, and calling for hope. And calling and for hope. Calling yes. for hope. Calling that, you know, for like, hope. Like, yeah. Like today is not that day. You know, yes. there will come a day when men fail. Sons of Gondor, of Rohan, my brothers. I see in your eyes the same fear that would take the heart of me. A day may come. When the courage of men fails, when we forsake our friends and break all bonds of fellowship. But it is not this day. An hour of wolves and shattered shields when the age of men comes crashing down. But it is not this day. This day we fight. By all that you hold dear on this good earth, I bid you stand. 
Today will not be that yeah. day. Oh, you know, I get goosebumps just, just thinking about yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. That I think is, I think that is the greatest moment in all three films. And that is, and and I think you're pointing to the fact that that is why it's a, it's sometimes it's a really good idea and why it really works to adapt stories into other media. Yeah, you know, because oh, yeah, yeah, because there are some things. That just naturally work so well in a mm-hmm. visual media, in a nonverbal media. You know the the that picture, and then having that picture of the the armies of of uh, men, the armies of the West, completely surrounded. That picture setting the nonverbal stance, and then the 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 facial expressions yeah. of the actors and the men, and the men being afraid, and then getting to hear. Those words, as portrayed by done by it with an with the excellent work of Viggo Mortensen and the mm-hmm, scriptwriters, mm-hmm. and then to get to watch as the the steel returns to the spines of the men as they straighten, yes. as they remember their pride, as they determine, as they as they reach that conclusion completely non verbally of like yes we are going to stand yes mm-hmm. we are going yeah. to be here yes. Yes. yes this is what we are going to do this is what we're going to risk our lives for preach and, it brother preach uh, it you know and so being that being in a movie with the super with the superbly stirring music that Howard Shore yeah. created all comes together and combines to produce a response that is magnificent and worthy of mm. existing outside of the books as much as we love and adore and reverence books that are written and stories that are told through words that's that i think that's a great example of why it's good for movie adaptations to exist i i think tolkien would be proud of it yeah oh yeah now you what's your your best or worst or both all right all right so i, I all right so i thought I, I came up with two categories uh one is going to be shorter and shallower the other is going to be uh, deeper and take me longer to babble about. The first is I wanted to, I, I was thinking about humor mm-hmm. in the trilogy, right? <laughs> Toss me. And I think, yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Toss me. Don't tell them. Oh, come on. We can take them. It's a long way. Toss me. What? I cannot jump the distance and have to touch me. Don't tell the elf. Not a word. I think. Don't tell the elf. I think. I think. Uh, for, for me, I think the best humor was Marion Pippin. I think mm, Marion Pippin yeah. are hilarious at times. Their banter, their their brotherly, known each other their whole lives, the way they give each other crap. I think that is some of the most fun. Are you taller? I think <laughs> I was the tall one. <laughs> I will always be the taller one. You know, when they're both four feet. You're taller. Who? You. Than what? Than me. I've always been taller than you. Pippi. Everyone knows. I'm the tall one. You're the short one. Please, Mary. 
You're what? Three foot six at the most. Whereas me, I'm pushing three seven. Three eight. Three foot eight. You did something. Mary, don't, don't drink it. No, Trivian said, Trivian said that you should never need something. He said, it could move dangerous. But, uh, <laughs> but I think, I Maybe think, and I, and I can't remember if we talked about this before. I think we might have in the last episode. Uh, Gimli, I think, is done a little dirty as a character. I, yeah. Because yeah. he's only used for comic effect. Yeah. Now, I think sometimes it works really well. Mm-hmm. I think toss me and don't tell anybody about it is great. Is that, that's, that's it's awesome. Perfect. But I think there are also times where, you know, like when he drinks himself silly trying to keep up with Legolas yes. or when he's uh, you know, when uh, I don't have a problem with Lego he and Legolas like competing for how many orcs they kill. Final count, 42. 42? Oh, that's not bad for a pointy-eared elvish princeling. <laughs> I myself am sitting pretty on 43. <laughs> 43. He was already dead. He was twitching. He was twitching? Cause he's got my axe embedded in his nervous system. That's okay, but I, you know, it, it, yeah, I think it, I think they did do him dirty. You know, I think I thought that was like among the worst because because I think Gimli deserves more as a character and and frankly as a dwarf. The 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 dwarves don't yeah. really get a lot of do in this particular trilogy. They don't. They don't get the love that the elves get. Yeah, yeah. You know. So that's my that's my short and shallow. My longer and deeper is so the humor stuff. I think spans the whole trilogy. The one that the best or worst that I wanted to come up that I wanted to discuss is just like yours, centered on the Return of the King, mm-hmm. and it's centered on the same part of the movie too. Funny, funny <laughs> enough, while you draw our attention to Aragorn and the armies drawing out. Sauron and emptying out Mordor. I want to draw our attention to what happens with Frodo and the Ring in Mount Doom. Okay. And what happens immediately after. Mm. Um, and because I think I and I want to talk about it from the standpoint of morality and okay. philosophy. So like the the J.R.R. Tolkien was Catholic, mm-hmm. uh, was a Christian, mm-hmm. and that worldview mm-hmm, mm-hmm. was infused into his 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 writing of Middle Earth, mm-hmm. and so so that's why things like uh, the wizards use magic as sparingly as possible because it can be dangerous and you don't want to mess with the natural order of things. All of that kind of stems from that worldview. I think one of the best bits of the Lord of the Rings trilogy is the fact that Frodo. Despite being portrayed as the hero, at the at the end, in the most important moment, 
he falls to temptation. Mm, mm-hmm, he mm-hmm. fails to throw the ring into the lava and instead puts it on. Mm-hmm. And I seem to recall that a lot of people were upset by that when the movies came out. Um, they, they hadn't read the books either. Who are not as familiar with the books, who yeah. don't understand what's going on there. But I love that the fact that the ring gets destroyed because the one who uh, who had fallen to it utterly literally bites it off Frodo's finger and then they both fall off the ledge. In mm-hmm. other words, the evil had succeeded in corrupting both of them. That evil corrupts is a thing. What combat or what counteracted the corruption of the evil? Sam! Again, Sam! Mm-hmm. The only reason Frodo lived was because Sam was there to pull him off the ledge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, That Sam was there to save him. And that then Gandalf and the Eagles, that they loved them enough, they cared enough to, to you know, to, uh, to ride to save them. Mm-hmm. And so the fact that um, good triumphs over evil because of love, because of fellowship, because of family, because of uh, selflessness, that is, you know, mm-hmm. that's where good wins, not necessarily because... A heroic figure overcomes evil. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and and I and I really like that. And yet at the same time, I really dislike the fact that as soon as the ring is destroyed, all of the forces of evil vanish. Mm. That they all fall into a pit and everyone is saved. Yeah. Uh, I also didn't like that because it kind of makes it seem like well, if you overcome the root of your problem, then everything's okay. Mm. And I think that's a little, you know, and, and there's, yeah. Yeah. Within, the, within the context of the story and the world building as presented, I completely understand and do not dispute the internal logic of Mordor falling apart because mm-hmm. Sauron was it, defeated. Yeah, I think it makes sense. Yeah. I'm not arguing that it doesn't make sense. I'm just arguing that from if you look at it strictly from a moral lens, a morality play lens, an allegorical lens of what is this teaching us, mm-hmm. I think both the best and the worst come right on the heels of each other. Because I think the best is evil, you know, the source of evil, ultimate evil, ultimate corruption uh, is not defeated, is, is not... Defeated by one person's heroic act, but rather through collaboration. I mean, the whole idea of, you know, the Lord of the Rings is, as we've said before, one story that was called the Lord of the Rings. And it and the first third of it is called the Fellowship of the Ring. And I don't think that really, even though there is mention in the through through the story of the breaking of the fellowship, I think the fact that the fellowship existed and the fact that the fellowship held not all of the members but the idea of those who were part of the fellowship at the beginning of the story come back together at the very end of the story mm-hmm, and that mm-hmm. and that all of those who lived continued to fight on behalf of good throughout mm-hmm. the whole story mm-hmm. i think that is crucial to to the morality of it uh in a way that i dislike the idea that and this is again and actually Maybe this is maybe I'm gonna surf off of your adaptation complaint a little bit because 
the movies make it seem like all evil went away. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and I was so and so they went. So when they thing. go back to the you know so so when they go back to the Shire, there's <clears throat> the Shire is still yeah. idyllic and perfect. As opposed to in the books, yeah, there is yeah. still more to defeat. There are still more th- challenges to overcome. There's still, you know, and, struggle to yeah. be had, and you don't necessarily see that in the movies. And I get you want a movie to be a simpler story, yeah, have a happy ending kind of. But uh, yeah, no, I was thinking the same thing though. Is is that yeah? They the the book makes a point that you know, I mean, the forces of Sauron themselves crumble because they they have lost their power, but that. That doesn't mean that evil across the world has ended, and it, it yes, the the evil forces that were not Sauron's directly, they they fled because they knew that their world had been upended, but it That's did right. not destroy them. That's right. So yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Good so point. I, good point. I, I get you there. So, I, I feel you there. So I, I I bet I hope that our audience understands. Just how deeply we had to dig to find worsts. Yeah. Because of how much we love this trilogy and these movies. That brings me to uh, our little fun segment. And I have been I have been hinting to Jerry for weeks. 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 Weeks he's been this. he's been giggling and saying, "Oh, wait till we do the this." T- the time has finally I am, come. I am now terrified because the so, time has come. I have in my hand about 10, 12 slips of paper uh-huh. in a bag. Now you're what you must do uh-huh. is you draw one out. Uh huh. On it is written an unpopular nerdy opinion that you have to defend. <laughs> Oh, oh he's, he's, he's going back to his high school debate days. Oh, my God. In which you, pro and con is assigned to you. All right, all right. You must defend it, so I must pick one. defend, all right. Pick all right. one. Oh, my goodness. And I, there's a couple in here. I really hope that you grab one of them. Oh, my okay. goodness. All right. What is it? Avatar would have been a better film if it had been done with the Muppets instead. <laughs> All right, now, I require, I require clarification. Is this James Cameron's avatar? Yes, James Cameron's avatar. <laughs> I must argue pro. The pro. Pro this. I must defend this position. This, yes. <laughs> All right, James Cameron's avatar. All right. Would uh, be better if it were done by the Muppets. All right. Come on. The Muppets. The Muppets, number one. We already have the the epic Muppets in space. Therefore, the Muppets have already gone to outer space. Therefore, going to a moon of Pandora, you know, they've been there. They, they know what's up. Uh, number one, number two, the Muppets almost always combat the forces of corporate greed in their movies. There's always a corporate jerk-off who the Muppets must teach uh, a lesson to. So the story structure and setting and the main character design of large blue creatures <laughs> lend themselves to the Muppets. The Muppets are a natural fit for this for this franchise. And frankly, I, I don't understand why James Cameron did not contact the Muppets to begin with. 
I've got a bunch more, and I'm going to keep adding to this, and hopefully this can be a reoccurring one. Oh, a one recurring thing. Yes, oh, of course. Wonderful. So, All right. I've so got some really good ones. How many games am I going to do? What's that? No, just was... just one, unless you want to do another one. one. Do you want to do another one? Well, of oh, course yes. we can't. Let's do, let's do another one. We have to do at least one more. Okay, at least give, one more. Just to give a flavor. I have one in there that's I my am, personal I favorite. That I It just had me chuckling for days. All right, all right, all right. So what do we got? What do we got here? Now, did you write these? Or did you I did write these. these. I did write these, actually. Austin Powers could take Bond in a fist fight. Alright. <laughs> Once again, I require further clarification. Which Bond? Yes. Yes? Any of them. Any of them. Oh, Austin Powers could take any Bond. The, right, the, 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 the character Bond, not necessarily the actor Bond. You know what I mean? I the, do. But again, I I think we could have a nerdy argument <laughs> about whether James, whether there is one character James Bond or multiple characters James Bond names yeah. James Bond over the decades. It's kind of <laughs> like it's kind of like the question: Is there one Batman, or are there many different Batmans based on the which which? Uh, no, no weaseling your way out of this one, man. No <laughs> weaseling your way out. All right. <laughs> All right, all right, all right, all right, all right. Let me get, let me get my head in here. <laughs> Austin Powers, baby. He knows how cool he is. He... Actually, no. I think he doesn't. <laughs> I think maybe he's unaware of how effective he is. Whereas I think James Bond is way overconfident. I think this is one of those overconfident kind of things where I think Austin Powers could... And, oh, all right, so... The, the the card says Austin Powers could take Bond in a fist fight, not would take <laughs> Bond in a fist fight. That letter makes a big difference oh. because that means it is possible for Austin Powers to take Bond in a fist fight, not that he would not always. A, not a foregone conclusion. Not a foregone conclusion. So I think Austin Powers could take Bond in a fist fight because Austin Powers is such a ridiculous character that Bond would just sort of tilt his head to the side and be totally flummoxed by the ridiculousness of Austin Powers, such that Austin Powers would get at least one, if not two or three, good shots at Bond before Bond had the wherewithal to respond. And as we know, Austin Powers is powerful. And therefore, I I think maybe Bond goes down. <laughs> yeah, in, uh, from yeah. from at least one or 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 a handful of uh, of of the initial blows in such a fight. <laughs> well done. Thank you. Thank well you very much. done. Thank you very much. And I'm hoping that we can we can do this as a reoccurring one because there's there's a lot of really fun unpopular opinions I that, think, that we can create. I think I definitely need to create my own bag yes. in response. <laughs> and I'm going to have to think hard the, on the what sort of things. The more ridiculous, the better. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you what one of the uh, ones after we're done recording, one of my favorite ones in here. Well, no, no, no. you can't. Oh, okay. I got to draw it. I, I, All right. I will remain I, pure to the premise <laughs> that it yeah, must be I, revealed I, in the moment. I look forward to you having your own bag of unpopular opinion <laughs> that, is, that sounds so weird um, my own bag of unpopular opinions <laughs> I think maybe we should call it the sack the sack of unpopular opinions I think maybe that's uh, 
That, yeah, that's a better word for it. <laughs> all right. <laughs> TM, with TM. all capital letters. Sack of unpopular opinions. TM. Can, can um, we do that with a little echo, too? Sack of unpopular opinions. I'll have to pick a... Or maybe, you know, yeah, yeah. I'll have to, I'll have to choose a special sound effect for that. All right. Uh, <laughs> At this point in most episodes of Two Guys in a Franchise, we would indeed spin the Wheel of Random Episode Selection. But we were not we're not gonna do that this episode because we have decided for our next episode, it is time to visit, to revisit, to rewatch, to re-re-re-re-watch. By Grab Thar's Hammer, we're going to talk about Galaxy Quest. What a value. Yes, yes. (laughs) We're going to get meta on the meta and talk about Galaxy Quest, the amazing uh, satirical take on fandom and sci-fi television franchises and convention goers and the wonderful the wonderful way that sci-fi. What do you mean satire? That 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 stuff's canon, baby. Who's canon, exactly? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so next time, so if you would like to, uh, if you are not familiar, uh, get the to YouTube, because that's where we found it, or to uh, Amazon for the DVD. Totally worth it. We gar- we, we put the, the two guys in a franchise, seal of a, guaranteed seal of approval, that you will not consider your money wasted if you purchase the Galaxy Quest DVD or Blu-ray or buy it on, uh, you know, Apple or Amazon uh, streaming, you will consider it money well spent. And watch Galaxy Quest and join us next week for that episode. But if you want to keep having fun and, and join us in it, you can reach out to us at our email address, feedback at two guys in a franchise. That is F E E D B A C K, little at symbol. T W O. Shift two. <laughs> Shift two. Shift two, remember. T W O G U Y S. Franchise. A N D A. Franchise. Dot com. <laughs> no, no! Oh, I did it! I threw him off! Alright, or you can visit us on I our mean... website, two guys in a franchise.com. That's www.tw.o.g.u.y.s.a.n.d.a.f.r.a.n.c.h.i.s.e.com. Dot com. I'm gonna keep you from spelling everything. I will mess with your spelling every time. Every time. (laughs) And from the two of us, we hope you have a nerdy Nerdy week. week.